Grace Point Church, Pastor and Sister Sizemore, God bless them, amen, God bless them, and we all certainly miss being able to worship together this past Sunday, but we're looking forward to worshiping together on midweek, amen, and we're excited about it, and we're so thankful for it, and uh, we do want to announce that family prayer is this Saturday at 9.30 a.m., right here at uh, Tree of Life Church, family prayer, 9.30 a.m., we're going to have a great time in the Lord. If you have never been to a family prayer, uh, you certainly don't know what you're missing. It is a magnificent time in the presence of the Lord with the people of the Lord. And we encourage you to be here this Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. for family prayer. Praise God. So we're going to look to the word of the Lord this evening. And I'm going to be speaking to you on the subject, Upside Down. Everybody say, Upside Down. Upside down. Acts chapter 17, and I'm going to begin reading at the first verse. The word of the Lord simply says this. Now, when they had passed through uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude, and of the chief women not a few. But the Jews which believed not were moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort, and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they had found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, and I want you to notice this cry, and this is where we take our text and our title, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Whom Jason hath deceived, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. One Jesus. Praise God. I, you know what? I might just switch it down. One Jesus. Amen. How many know there's just one? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, and thank God for that. But I want to speak to you tonight on the subject, Upside Down. Uh, this, of course, is a great passage of Scripture, and, and it gives you a real insight into the ministry of Paul uh, and, 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 and Silas. Of course, they, are, they have just left their time in Macedonia, the great revival that took place in the Macedonian city, uh, in which Paul was uh, saw in a vision the people of Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And he did go over and help them. Paul and, Paul and Silas together went to Macedonia. They, of course, they met a woman there, Lydia, the seller of purple. She was their first convert. They won her to the Lord. Lydia was a great help to the ministry. There was a little woman that followed them, and she gave them great praise. And she said, these are they who bring to us salvation. They speak of salvation. And, and Paul and Silas were, I guess, supposed to be impressed by her flattery of them. 
But thank God Paul had a discerning spirit and had the gift of discerning spirit. And he was able to see that this this was flattery and it was not sincere and it was coming from a spirit of divination. So just because people seem to profess a praise for the things of God does not mean that they are of God. And Paul discerned the spirit and he cast the spirit out of her and it was a spirit of divination. And she was so possessed with this spirit of divination that she actually had made merchandise of that divination. And she was involved in the economy of the city. And there were many merchant men who made money off of her uh, abilities and her demonic possession. And so when she was delivered, praise God, she was delivered from it and she was no longer uh, telling fortunes and reading cards and reading palms or what have you. And, and they lost a lot of money. Well, they decided that Paul and Silas must be stopped, so they cast them into a prison. Now, they didn't have the great luxury we have of being able to read Acts chapter 16. So they did not know if you want to stop Paul and Silas, the last place you put them is in prison. Because when they got into that prison, they began to sing praises unto God. And they began to pray unto the Lord. And the Lord sent an earthquake. And the earthquake shook the foundation of that prison. And the doors were opened. Everyone's bands were loose. And the great story unfolds that all the prisoners stayed in their respective places. Though the keeper of the prison thought they might have escaped, was about to take his own life. Paul witnessed to him baptized him and all his household. Great revival, great revival. And so they move on to uh, Amphipolis and Apollonia, and they move through there, and they come to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And when they get to this synagogue of the Jews, Paul, as the manner of his custom was, he went into the synagogue of the Jews, and he began to reason with them out of the Scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen from the dead. So Paul would go into these synagogues wherever he went, and he being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, him being of the tribe of Benjamin, him being one who was quite versed in the uh, law and in the Scriptures, would open the Scriptures and show them the great prophecies of the Old Testament that prove that Messiah, when He comes, will suffer. That Messiah, when He comes, will be betrayed. That He will be wounded in the house of a friend. That He will be, in fact, wounded, bruised, chastised, afflicted, smitten of God, and on and on the prophecies roll concerning the crucifixion and suffering of Messiah. And he would allege that Christ must needs have suffered. And he would take their attention then to the portions of Scripture that talk about the fact that Christ would rise from the dead. Paul saw in the Old Testament references to the fact that Christ would indeed rise from the dead. Not only would he suffer. Not only would he bleed, not only would he die, but he would rise from the dead. And so he would open and allege to 
the scriptures, which are, which is the Old Testament, and uh, and Paul was living the book of Acts. He wasn't reading from it. We had the book of Acts, thank the Lord, but he didn't have the book of Acts. He had the Old Testament. And so he opened up the Old Testament and he showed where Jesus was the Christ who suffered, that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament that came from the prophets all point directly to the suffering of Jesus and to the burial of Jesus and to the resurrection of Jesus. And he opened and alleged that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I have preached unto you, is Messiah. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you, when you come to that place, and you understand that Jesus is Messiah, praise God. It is a beautiful revelation. I received a text message from Brother Brian Duvall, who he and his family were out of town this past week. And, uh, and he was listening to the message on Sunday. And as I was preaching, I began to go down a, a, a list of who Jesus is. And he texted me and said, while I was doing that, little Braylon spoke up and shouted, He's Messiah. And I tell you what, that's what it's all about. Jesus is Messiah. He is Lord. He is the Christ. The long-awaited anointed one. Praise God. And we want our children to know that. And we want this city to know that. Praise the Lord. So they, they, Saul is teaching this and he's preaching this. And those that believed, they consorted with Paul and Silas. They agreed with Paul and Silas. And of the devout Greeks, a great multitude. So those of the Jews in Thessalonica, there were some that believed them and they consorted with them. They joined with them. But, but then there was a great multitude of devout Greeks and of the chief women, there, not a few, there were many of the chief women who joined in believing. But the Jews which believed not were moved with envy. You know, James said that's where wars come from. And that's what we're looking at in our world stage, wars and rumors of wars. And, and it comes from envy. That's why you can't let envy have any place in your heart. Because it'll start a needless war with somebody when instead you should rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. And there was envy in their heart. They took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort they gathered a company, they set all the city in uproar, and they assaulted the house of Jason. Poor Jason. Sought to bring Paul and Silas out to the people. Uh, and and, 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 and he, this is what their accusation was. They said, these that have turned the world upside down. Now they meant this as an insult. What they meant was, these that have disturbed the regular order of things. Now here's what you and I have to understand. They actually were incorrect in this assessment. These people had not turned the world upside down. They were turning the world right side up. They were reconciling the world. The world had fallen off from what God's plan is and had been. But they were reconciling the world. The Bible says God was in Christ, 
reconciling the world unto himself. So they were restoring the world to what the world is supposed to be. And yet when they looked at it, they didn't see it that way. They said they're turning it upside down. But as is often the case, we just take what the world says and we say, but you call it what you want, we're still going to do what God called us to do. You know, her name was not Esther. It was Hadassah. But she never did, she never did complain about the name change. It wasn't a great name change. It was a name after one of their heathen deities. That's what they would do. They would superimpose a heathen deity upon the people of God and try to label them and capture them with that new identity. And she was just like, you know what? You go ahead and call me Esther. You go ahead and call me, name the book Esther. You call me whatever you want to call me. I'm still going to do what God called me to do. And that's what we have to understand. If they want to say that it's turning it upside down, then let's look at it from that perspective. That's, that's what we'll do. We'll take what is up and we'll bring it down. We'll take what is up and we'll bring it down. Because we are here to see God's will in earth as it is in heaven. We are here to bind on earth what is bound in heaven. And loose on earth what is loosed in heaven. We are here to see God's will performed. Hallelujah. This is not the kingdom of man we're interested in. It's not the kingdoms of this world we are interested in. It's not the kingdoms of our heart that we're interested in. We're interested in the kingdom of God. We're interested in the kingdom of heaven. Lord, let thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Hallelujah. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Hallelujah. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise God. I want you to understand that this life we're living is the life of the kingdom of God. So we can't get caught up in the kingdoms of this world and let the kingdoms of this world control our emotions or control our faith or control how we treat one another, we must understand that we are citizens of a better country. Hallelujah. Now, being citizens of a better country, we operate at the level of that country. And so that makes us good citizens here on earth. We're not bad citizens here on earth. In fact, we're good citizens. Christian believers, one God apostolic Pentecostal people ought to be the best citizens that the world ever runs into. We ought to be the most kind. We ought to be wise. We ought to be gentle. We ought to be good. We ought to be loving. We ought to look out for one another. Uh, we, we need to be the salt of the earth. Amen. Let me tell you something. If you run into somebody at Target, 
supposed to see. Don't run and hide. Don't don't duck and dodge down into the into the card aisle and look up over the shelf and hope that they didn't see you. Don't do that. That's not that's not us. If you ran into them, you were supposed to see. You may not know what to say. You don't have to say something if you don't know what to say. Just walk up to them and, and, and tell them what the Bible tells you to tell them. Be kind one to another. Amen. Be kind one to another. Be a good child of God. Because you know what? I'm going to tell you. I believe these are the spiritual weapons. I know I talk a lot about them. You hear me talk a lot about, about being kind, about demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. You hear me talk a lot about them. And you, there's a reason why I talk I preach the Bible, and the Bible talks a lot about them. See, the Bible talks about our weapons, but it lets us know our weapons are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So when the Bible speaks of wrath, it tells us how to deal with wrath, and it says a soft answer turns away wrath. This is how you cast down imaginations. This is how you bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You are one step ahead of the enemy when you demonstrate the goodness and the kindness and the love of God. That's why when Jesus stood before his accusers and his and his pastors, he answered them not a word. He didn't just answer them a word. He didn't curse them. He didn't revile them. He didn't lash out at them. But he just, he had already said, Lord, it is what, not my will, but your will be done. Because he's talking about the kingdom. The kingdom is God's will be done. So your will be done, not my will be done. And so he was surrendering them to the will of the kingdom of God. So he understands as the, as the captors are unleashing their toll on him, he is saying, you know what, I'm going to let you do what you're going to do because it is the will of God and I'm going to let it unfold, but it's not the end of the story. And there's going to be no blood on my hands because I'm going to go down into the grave and I'm going to come up out of the grave and I'm going to fill the souls of the people of this earth with my spirit. Understand that he did after the cross, the burial and the resurrection, something he couldn't do before the cross, the burial and the resurrection. And when he told us to take up our cross and follow him, that we were to do that because we were going to experience the same fate. You were going to take up, you know why you take up your cross? See, that's not like decoration. You're taking up your cross to follow Jesus. You're walking around with a big cross on your back. And, and you're wondering, why, why, why don't we have this? And when you see what happens to him on the cross, and you're like, uh-oh, that's what this is for? That's right. And you know what Paul said? He said, I die daily. Every single day I die. Every day somebody comes up to me and nails me to that cross. Every single day I got somebody rude to deal with. And sometimes there are people that shouldn't be rude. Sometimes there are people that know better and should be nice and kind. But yet, I'm having to deal with them all the day. I die daily. And Paul, the people that were rude to Paul, they were like sitting there in prison.
prison. So before you start complaining about how rough you've got, you spent days and nights in the heat. The 40 stripes save one he received of the Jews. He was persecuted, not destroyed. Cast down, not, not forsaken. He was, he, was, he, was, uh, he was dealing with certain things, but he was not in despair. Perplexed, but not in despair. But, but he was crucified daily. He died daily. And he said, but I, nevertheless, I live. Not I, but Christ within me. Every day I experience a death and a burial and a resurrection. I'm telling you that that is how the kingdom of God works. And what it does is it disturbs the regular order of things. Because the way it's supposed to happen is somebody's supposed to lash out at you and you're supposed to lash out at them and you're both supposed to get mad and you're never supposed to speak to each other again. And if you do, it's supposed to be tense and awkward and horrible, and there's supposed to be a great big rift and a great big divide, and the devil wins. That's how it's supposed to work. But these have turned the world upside down or right side up. They've brought what is up, and they've brought it down to earth. They have set their affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So I'm sorry, I don't act like the world. I don't get offended like the world. I don't get mad like the world. If I do, I take it to God in prayer. And let me say, and let me say as Paul, when I say I don't get offended, I don't get mad, I'll say this, not I, but Christ. No one gets real mad. No one gets real offended. Easy, easy offended. If, but if, if you'll let yourself die on that cross you took up to follow him. Hallelujah. This is why Paul deals with this constantly through the scriptures. Because it is your flesh that you will contend with. Do you know that when 1 Corinthians 15 describes the resurrection, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible. This corruptible shall put on incorruption. Okay, what it means is this body is going to change into a resurrected body. Okay, it's talking about the resurrection. This body is going to be translated into a new body. One that's not prone to sickness or death or sadness or pain or suffering, but a glorified body. Now, now understand, what changes is the body. The invisible parts of you are supposed to be changed on death. What, what we need to live our life in such a way where the only thing that needs changing is this. Should not need any changing. My my view of others should not need any changing. The only thing that should need changing is the fact that I'm in this what Paul called a body of death. That's dying every day. It's getting closer to dying. But when I shed this body, I rise to walk in newness of life. Hallelujah. I I, I let this old man that's inside of me die, and I rise to walk in newness of life through repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. This is turning the world upside down. Praise God. And that's what happened when you stepped into walking with God. God turned your world upside down. God changed you. God rearranged you. He rearranged. 
rearranged your thinking and he rearranged your, 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 your train of thought. And he did. He changed the way you treat people. And he changed the way you think. Hallelujah. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost. I want you to understand something. When you come into the church, it's not a formality. You really are changed. says you come into the church and you just be a different version of the world. No, you come into Christ and there are real changes that happen in your life. It'll change the way you talk, the way you act, the way you dress, the way you think, the way you treat people, the way you worship. It'll change your schedule. It'll change your calendar. It'll change your it'll change your checkbook. It'll change everything about you. You have new priorities. You treat your wife differently. You treat your children differently. It will change you. Hallelujah. What's happening? He's turning you upside down. He's turning you right side up. He's bringing that which is in heaven. He's bringing it down to earth. Notice what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 17 uh, and, and verse number 20. The Pharisees asked him, what, what, what about the kingdom? When is the kingdom coming? Luke 17 verse 20, when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Verse 21, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Hallelujah. And God, when you receive the Holy Ghost, is inside of you. That's where the kingdom of God lives. Inside of us. So when he said the kingdom of heaven is like unto a lamb that is that, 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 that loses one lamb and, and, and leaves the ninety-nine and goes, takes out one lamb and brings it back to the ninety-nine and great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner. The other ten, he said, that's you. That's what happened on the inside of you. On the inside of you, you were restored back to the 99. And you'll look for lambs that, that need restored back to the 99. And, and you're that lost coin that was restored back to the 9. And you'll look for the coins that need restored back to the other 9. When he talked about the kingdom of heaven being like a man looking for a treasure hidden in a field, he said, that's going on on the inside of you. That, that, that treasure is hidden, and you're going to find that treasure, and you've got that treasure in an earthen vessel. This is, this is what's happening on the inside of you. So all that talk that we've talked about on this sermon around where he says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the merciful. When he talked about that, he's, he's saying that's the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom. And he's saying to you and I, all of that is inside of you. That meekness, that mercy, that pure in heart, that poor spirit. And notice, all of it is connected to heaven because he said, the meek shall inherit the earth. The pure in heart, they shall see God. The poor in spirit, they shall receive the kingdom. Because it's the kingdom of God that is within us. So, so the kingdom of God is it's not coming with observation. It's not you it's not you out looking for where it is, low here or low there. And there are a lot of people that are waiting and waiting, and I'm telling you, it's here. You know, on the on the resurrection and at the resurrection and in the resurrection, it will be fully manifest on the earth because this mortal body shall have taken on immortality. But it's here. It's earthen vessel right now. 
That's why a perfect peace, he shall keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Notice this, that perfect peace is perfect because it's a heavenly peace. Perfect love cast out fear. It's a love that is perfect because it's a heavenly love. So we catch little glimpses of heaven and we taste little pieces of heaven and we, we see little, little, little flashes of heaven because we have it on the inside of us. It's the earnest of our inheritance. Praise God. I want to turn your attention to the book of Colossians chapter 3. And I want to talk to you a little bit. I'm going to, I'm going to do some quick, I want to try to do a little bit of quick expository uh, teaching a little bit in, in the book of Colossians chapter 3. Because the first two chapters of Colossians tells us about the worth of Jesus Christ. It explains to us that uh, Jesus is the head of the body of the church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. It tells us that uh, the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to the saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians chapter 2, it begins to explain to us the mystery of God, the Father, and of Christ, in whom are all hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Hallelujah. For in Jesus dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So he tells us all the work of Jesus Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, saying that, that he explains to us that Jesus Christ hath nailed the ordinances to the cross ordinances of the law of Moses. So he talks about the work of Christ. But in Colossians chapter 3, having established what Jesus has done, he begins to talk about how it influences the way we live. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. In other words, look for things that are heavenly not things that are earthly. This is what I, I really, truly urge people to be careful of that misunderstanding concerning what is happening in our world, in our culture. You be careful. Now, Jesus said watch, but he didn't just say watch, did he? Did he? He didn't just say watch, did he? I know you're watching a lot of stuff. He didn't just say watch. What else did he say? Watch and pray. And if we'll watch and pray, it'll change the way we see it. It'll change the way we feel about it. It'll change our perspective because we'll begin to see that there's there's an upside. <laughs> there's an upside. There's an upside to everything. And we're going to bring the upside down to this earth. Hallelujah. If you then being risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Praise God, for you are dead. Did you get that? You are dead. Hey, can I say something? You may not even really have that desire to be 
chastised he hadn't been crucified he had just been chastised he was not crucified fully crucified absolutely dead on that cross until he gave up the ghost because we have not given up enough ghosts and if that's the ghost that is haunting you that is holding on to heaven you need to let go of it and it's that ghost that's going to remain that way and until you let go of those ghosts until you absolutely say, into thy hands, Father, I commend my spirit. Until you say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Your flesh is still alive. But you're just wandering. You're just bruised. You're just, you're just ripped. You're just, you've got thorns. You've just got blood. You've just got wounds. You're just pain and suffering and sorrow. But when you're crucified with Christ, that's why, that's why you Notice what Colossians said. You are dead. That's not a metaphor. That's not just a figure of speech that you, oh, we're going to pretend like it's something that happened. No, no, no. You let the old man die and you let the new man live. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. I'm trying to tell you how to turn the world upside down. I'm trying to tell you how to set your affection on things above. And when you do, it turns the world that you're living in. It has an impact on everybody around you. It'll set the whole city in an uproar. It'll disturb the regular order of our world. That is not working. Our world is ordered wrong. We need the kingdom to come. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, notice this, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. So this is what he tells you to mortify. Are you ready? We need to be mortified. There are things that need to mortify us. That we, we hear them or we see them or we, or we, God forbid, do any of them and we, we're mortified. We need to be mortified. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Fornication. Gossip. 
get it out of your mind, get it out of your eyes, get it out of your ears. It doesn't belong in you. You are dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. That's a base element of this fallen world. Mortify, therefore, the members of your body. Mortify fornication. Don't flirt with it. Flee from fornication, the Bible says. This again has to do with perversion and and severe lust for the flesh or the eyes and covetousness, which is idolatry. We don't play the music business. We mortify. Mortis, that M-O-R-T-E, that's the same root as mortuary or mortician. It means kill it. It means crucify it. You don't play games with it. You bring it to an altar and you you repent from it and you leave it with God and you say, Lord, I'm putting this under the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And you become victorious through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Mortify your members. Mortify your members. So it deals with all of that. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, and evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. Listen, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. The wrath of God is coming upon you. In the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them, but now you also put off all these. So you mortify all that junk, and then you put off all these. You ready to hear what you got to put off? Put off anger. Oh, we get so justified, don't we, just to be angry all the time. Just to put it off. Stop being so judgmental. Put off all these anger. You know, when we get angry, I know we're sinners. We can get, listen, our sugar can dip when we can get angry. I know we're, it's the body of this death. I can get angry, and, and I sometimes I need a prayer meeting, and sometimes I need an ice cream cone. And, and, and you never know which one it is. So it's, it just, it's, a, it's the body of this death. So, so but, but we've got to deal with it. You, don't, you can't just be walking around angry, scowling, having a furrowed brow. You cannot do that. You are dead. Your life is hid with Christ in God. You're here to turn the world upside down. You've got to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth. And anger is something that the world is is caught up in, not the church. We don't participate in that. Now, there is is such a thing as righteous anger and righteous righteous indignation. There is such a thing. But but the key word is righteous. If it's righteous, it's not carnal, and it's certainly not uh, hateful. So, so there are certain things we need to be angry about, but, but all things must be done in the grace of God. We'll get into that. But notice what the Scripture says. The Scripture says to put off anger and wrath and malice and blasphemy. Put it off. Put filthy communication out of your mouth. 
get that filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. All that stuff is a part of the old man. Not part of the new man. And have put on the new man. Whew, hallelujah. Which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Praise God. The new man. That, that new man is Jesus. Put on Jesus, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. That's what Jesus said when he said, come take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And, and he goes into, there's no Jew, no Greek, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond, no free, but Christ is all and in all. Here's the thing we're going to put on. So he told you what to kill and he told you what to put off. Now he's going to tell you in verse 12 what to put on. In verse 12, you put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy, means separate and pure. You're separated from the world. We are separate from the world. But we're not just separate from the world. We're separated unto God. You can be separated from the world and still be pretty bad character. We're separated unto God. And we are beloved. That means we are loved by God. Bowels of Therefore, bowels of mercies. Bowels means what you feel. You feel it in your gut. You feel it in, in the core of who you are. And so put on the real true core of mercies and kindness and humbleness of mind and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, say go meet at the okay corral he said even as christ forgave you so also do you if you've got a quarrel with him forgive him as christ forgave you so also do you i'm gonna tell you if you'll start loving people the way christ loved you you will have peace you will convert them to the lord praise god and above all these things Verse 14, above all these things, put on charity. That is the love of God. That is agape. Okay, that is agape. And I want to, I want to point out to you that agape love, that's, that's the word there. And that word agape is used to describe the love of God. And I've told you before, human love is different than God's love. Okay, just because you feel a certain way towards somebody, that, that can mean you love them. But it may mean that you love them with human love. But when you love them with the love of God, that's agape love. And that's a different kind of love. That love is the love that 1 Corinthians 13 is talking about. Have you ever looked at 1 Corinthians 13 and compared it to the poor, pitiful way we love people? It's just not. <laughs> I mean, whew, you talk about looking at yourself in the mirror the way the Bible says realizing how shortcoming we are in loving people the way we're supposed to love them. 1 Corinthians 13, if that's what we're supposed to live up to, we're, we're falling so dramatically short of it unless, unless we'll let God love people through us. And all of a sudden, our love is not offended. It's not easily provoked. It's not, it's not, it doesn't vaunt itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. 
Because why? Because it's the agape love. Do you know what the Bible says about agape love? What that word means? The Bible says it's a feast. That's actually what it is. It means a feast. It's a love feast. So when we come together and we worship together, we are experiencing a feast where we love one another. And so when Jude in verse 12, and we can pull up Jude verse 12, is just one chapter in the book of Jude. So we're going to look at coming for a church that has no spot, no blemish, no wrinkle. Listen to what the scripture says. Verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Cory. This is a reference to people who have crept in unawares to the body of Christ. Verse 12. These are spots in your feast of charity. feast of charity is supposed to be a place where everybody loves one another. And then the Bible says, but there are some spots in the feast of charity. And here's here's what the Bible tells us. He's looking for a bride without spot. Okay? In other words, he's going to get rid of everybody who doesn't love one another. You better start loving folks real fast. is coming, and he's going to separate the wheat from the tares, and you and I, we're not, we're not the judge, we're, we're, we don't get to decide who's wheat and who's tares, we just have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and show the love of God to one another, praise the Lord, and let God do the sorting, and God's going to decide what's in our heart, and the, that's why the Bible said, if the righteous shall scarcely be saved. There's a lot of people who, who, who think that, they, that they're going to be ahead of the pack. The Bible says that the righteous shall scarcely be saved. Where then does the sinner and the ungodly appear? And so, so, so you and I, we better, we better get busy really living this kingdom life. And this kingdom life is about bringing what's up down to earth. What's up? What, what's up? Hallelujah. What's up is love one another. What's up is love one another as Christ has loved you. What's up is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what's up. That is what's up. And the Bible said that what's up has been brought down. These have turned the world upside down. I'm going to tell you something. It wasn't just Paul. Paul's ministry was not just Paul operating in all this spiritual authority and, and casting out devils and tearing up jailhouses. He's telling you in Colossians 3 how he operated in that spiritual realm. He did it by putting off anger and putting off malice and did it by mortifying the deeds of the body and he did it by putting on love and putting on peace and putting on mercy and putting on kindness and, and loving forbearing one another. This is what happens when you do that. Verse 15 Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. 
to the which we are also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or need, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Now He's getting ready to show you what kingdom living looks like, okay? He's going to show you what kingdom living looks like. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. And not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. He that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Now, when he talked to the servants about uh, being responsible and accountable to their masters, he didn't let the, the boss off the hook either. Verse one of chapter four opens up like this: Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you have a master in heaven. Continue in prayer and watching the same with thanksgiving. Verse number five: Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Verse six: Let your speech, let your speech, that unruly tongue. That, that thing that's evil and untamed of man, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. Ha! Huh. That's how you come to work. That's how you come to work. And when people look at the church, they need to look at the church and they need to see wives and husbands loving and respecting each other. Submitted to one another in the fear of the Lord. When wives submitted unto the husbands as unto the Lord, yes. Husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. In the book of Ephesians, Paul said, submitting yourselves one to another. So brethren, before you, before you start coming up with yeses and thinking about how spiritually submit, who's most submitted? Christ, who is on the cross. standard. So when the world looks at the church, they need to see marriages that are thriving. We have Worth Protecting coming just in a few weeks. Our dual ministry, you need to sign up for it. It's going to be spectacular. Adam and Carissa King from Sacramento, California, they're going to bless you in Jesus' name. We need to have strong marriages. Because we're going to reach different people and we're going to, and we're going to just have no bad days, all good days, all pie in the sky, all no, I'm talking about living victoriously and living a life that the world can't live. The world can't live because they love each other with human love. We don't simply love one another with human love. We love each other with agape love. How do you think people love each other in sickness and in health, for better, for worse, till death do they part? With agape love. That's how they do it, with agape love. Love that is not... Easily offended, the love that is not 
puffed up, the love that does not vaunt itself or behave itself in all self-righteousness. Children obey parents. The church needs to be a place where kids are respected. And you know where they're going to learn respect? In heaven. They're going to learn respect from us. How we treat each other. How we treat others. How we treat them. Expectations with with accountability, with hope, with love, with respect, with respect. Hallelujah! Praise God! We need to be the best employees and best employers that the world has ever seen. The best employees and employers are the best that the world has ever known. When the world looks upon us, they need to say, "Now that is the model employee." That's the person you want to work for if you're an employer. That, if you're a manager, that's who you want to be managed by because they're, op- they, they're different. They're different. What, what are they different than? They're different from the regular order of this world. Now, when you go to leadership lessons and leadership classes and professionalism is being taught, and when they get to the nitty-gritty of what they're teaching, you're just teaching the Bible. You're just teaching you to do everything Paul said to do. bring what's up, we're to bring it down. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. I, I'm telling you, we'll reach our world if we'll live differently. And we'll turn this world upside down. Thank you, Jesus. And and, and the divorce rate that's, that's going up will start coming down. Upside down. And teenage suicide rate that's going up will start to come down, upside down. Hallelujah. Glory! Be it family prayer. Be it family prayer. Be it midweek Bible study. Be it Sunday morning service. Hallelujah. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name. Sing unto the Lord a new song. What what are you doing? I'm living in a different kingdom. I've got a kingdom of God inside of me. Hallelujah. And that's what I'm going to entertain. And it's not just what I do in this building, but it's going to affect every way in which I live my life. Praise God. I'm going to tell you, mother, father, if your children see you worshiping in church, God bless you, but make sure they see you do it at home too. I'm coming to a close. Our our musicians can come. I've, I've gone too long over here. Thank you for says three syllables in their how we're ruled by four syllables in their how we're ruled. Four syllables. I mean, she's really brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant. I'm going to tell you what, I, I'm just, that, that, that 
that does something to me to hear her say it. I want her when she says it. I want her. You can feel the presence of the Lord when that little baby just lifts up her hands and she's looking around at the adults in the room and the adults are all encouraging her. Hallelujah. They're all, they all got their hands lifted and they're all saying, that's it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you can feel the presence of the Lord into that little room and she's just looking the big people, and the big people are all doing it, and she's doing it, and she's feeling the presence of the Lord. Come on, do that in your homes. Do it in your living room. Do it in this building. Do it everywhere you go. Do it in the workplace. Hallelujah. Do it in your transaction. Worship Him and praise Him and honor Him and be good. Hallelujah. Fear God and honor the King and be a good citizen and, and treat the employer right and treat the employee right and treat your husband right and treat your wife right and treat your parents right and treat your children right. The kingdom of heaven, if the kingdom of heaven is bringing what's up, what's in heaven making it available on earth. You could stand with me right now. Just lift your hands unto the Lord all across this house and just say, God, I want that to be me. I want that to be me. Let me be. Let me be the one. Let me be the one of whom the world says I they're disturbing the regular order of things. Things aren't as chaotic when they're around. Things aren't as chaotic when they're around. They're a peacemaker. They're merciful. They're meek. Things aren't as unruly when they're around. They're, they're, there's a respect they have for people. There's a, there's a kindness they show. It's, it's different. I, I don't know what it is. It's just different. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't you want to be different? Don't you want to be different? Hallelujah. You know, our world, the, the people, the lost people of this world, they're desperate to be different. And they don't know where to look, so they just try something to separate themselves from the world. Often it can look really pretty. You look at it and go, oh, that's cool, that's awesome. But, but, but when God looks at it, He just He says, made them. They're looking for me. They're looking for me. They know they don't want this world. And they're, they're, they're looking for me. I want to be a light of the world. I want to be a city on a hill that everybody can look up and see and say, that's where I need to be. That's where I need to be. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Lift up your hands and say, Lord, let my little light shine. Tell him, say, Lord, let shine before men that they behold my good work and they glorify my Father which is in heaven.